Welcome back to the Four Glory Podcast, and thanks for joining us. Before we kick off this week's episode, I want to take time to say thank you to all of those of you who have reached out to us. It really means a lot to every one of us here. I especially want to thank Edgar Perez in Illinois for sending us our very first piece of fan fiction. Edgar wrote a short piece about Jack finding himself in a mysterious tavern, talking to a stranger about the circumstances of his life and death, and the nature of redemption. You know, when we first set out to make this show, I was just hoping someone out there might listen in and enjoy the story that we're creating together. Maybe get a few people inspired to try out this fantastic game, but I didn't expect anyone to get invested enough to spin off their own content. You know, it's uh, mind-blowing to me. So, Edgar, thank you. We all read it. You made every one of us very happy. I also want to thank all of you who have recommended the show to your friends. You know, over the past month, we've doubled the total number of downloads we've had for everything else leading up to it. So if you told anyone to check us out, thank you so much. And if you haven't, come on, please. Tell your friends, tell your coworkers, tell your classmates, tell the cop that pulled you over for speeding, tell your server at Chili's, tell them all, tell anyone to check out the show. And if you have anything you want to share with us, whether it's fan fiction or art or your feelings about the story or your undying love for weird, milk-having, egg-laying, insectoid crab spiders, send it to us at fourglorypod at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R, like the number. Or you can message us at facebook.com slash fourglorypodcast. I personally read every single thing that comes through, and I would love to hear from you. No, and I wanted to let you all know that we're working on a secret project. Hopefully it'll be done uh, in time for the new year. But I don't want to say too much about it, but I'm, I am very excited to share a completely different story with all of you in the very near future. But presently, I humbly submit for your enjoyment episode 17 Bottoms up and spirits down. Last time on the Four Glory Podcast. Set it on fire is a Skelethrax. It sounds like the name of a sick metal band. It's got milk and it lays eggs. Flip a coin. And we'll have a coin. It looks like a doll riding a dog talking shit to this giant spider monster. Fuck. My god. Well, that didn't work. That's a nat one. Yeah, go ahead and crit miss. Let's do it. Come on. Fuck you, man. (laughs) What? Natural one. Oh no. (sighs) What the hell is going on? I would just set the fucking thing on fire. Roll another one. Fuck you. That is a critical miss. Ah, fuck me. Well, fuck. Fuck me. Fuck. One, 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 one. Come on, another one. Motherfucker. So you get another critical failure. You just can't catch a break. But it's still fun. All right, let me get rid of this dead chicken. Run to Rupert. I don't know where Rupert is. Good turn. Cross your heart. Hope to die. You know, this thing's nasty. Your story continues now.
So let me make sure I got this right. We left off with Borwin knocked out, mostly dead, and the Skylothorex brutally cut in half and currently on fire in the middle of the cemetery. Does that sound right? Yes. <laughs> Let it burn. Even though it's definitely dead, I mean, it's, it's, it's cleft in twain, the legs start writhing and then curl up. Mm. And this Ugh. thing smells, when it burns, it smells like someone lit like a condom full of hair on fire. Gross. It's an interesting smell. <laughs> v, please ask for help from Seren Ray. I need to maybe make some introductions. Before it even comes to that, as soon as he sees that the danger is over, my character is going to rush over to Borwin and take off his backpack, rifle through it, and take out a healing potion and try and feed it to him. You succeed. Good right. roll. Two. Or when you gain back two hit points. Easy, friend. Easy. Mm. What in the world is that awful smell? Smells bad enough to gag a maggot? I agree. Mm, It's truly awful. Thank you for the potion. Wait, who are you? (laughs) <laughs> he looks around the cemetery to make sure that we're not in danger anymore, and he says, Well, I wish we could have met under better circumstances, but hello, my name's Rowan. Oh, pleasure to meet you, Rowan. Fancy footwork out there. Oh, likewise. Fancy footwork indeed. Oh, you didn't even see that much of it, Borwin. Hey, you told me to run when you fell down, and I'm still here. It seems we may have found our footing collectively. Well, I appreciate that you didn't run. Did y'all also come up here to fight these things? Yes. Yeah, I wasn't really expecting anyone else to come up here to try to fend off, you know, the living impaired. Well, we were on our way back, actually, from Spotlight Keep. Are you familiar? I reckon I may have heard the name before. But... I'm guessing y'all have a tale to tell. Guessing you know why these things are, well, not staying dead? Let me suggest we perhaps discuss it over a hot cup of coffee. Mighty neighborly of you. We are not done for the night, though. There was someone we left behind. Are they alright? No. Unfortunately, no. Not at all. Okay. <laughs> <You have> timing. <laughs> Is that on purpose? Did somebody do that? No, that's that's uh, part of the uh, sound for a graveyard. Oh shit! Oh my god, that's perfect. <laughs> that's, that's so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, okay, damn. Gregor, ask not for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Well, it seems like we're safe at the moment. Uh, got any place in particular you want to go? Well. My abode is just down the path which I'm sure you must have come up from, near the church. I would like to take a a little bit of time to observe this creature before we do, though, so if we could maybe just take ten minutes. I've waited a lot longer for a lot less. I don't mind keeping a lookout. Gwillem's going to study this thing, using recall knowledge to see what I can learn about it. You study... What's left of this thing? You think the oil in this thing is 
unnatural. Like, it's magical in nature. Uh, let me see. Do I have any... I don't have any empty containers. Um, actually, I do, because I said I drained my water skin before. You did? Yeah. Yeah, you actually called that out. Um... So, yeah, you know what? We're going to go ahead and collect some oil in my water skin. It's all on fire, oh, dude. Oh, man, that would be a lot easier to do if this thing wasn't fucking on fire. There's nothing, like, uh, pooled next to it. Bring it out of Henry's coat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, not worth it then at the moment. And... Okay, yeah, so uh, coffee calls. That is way more important. As you guys head south towards the path that goes down the cliffside towards the church. You see that while the dead have stopped climbing from their graves, and there's none left to fight, you aren't the only ones that have had to deal with this. A fair amount of these animated corpses made their way south and just kept moving, plunging from the cliffside to their ultimate destruction upon the glass-domed roof of the Dawnflower Library and its surrounding area. <clears throat> but damn, so just like running and falling off of it? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. Dozens. Seren Ray, popular with the undead, eh? Uh. Mm, that don't sound right to me. You make it down that path, and there's several priests and, and various personnel from the library outside in a panic. And they're casting spells and, and saying prayers and trying to just make sure that these these undead don't do anything else. And they're they're tending to frighten townsfolk. And it's just, it's a mess. As you move through the scene, you see a halfling woman dressed in the hastily donned robe of a cleric of Serenray. Her sleeves are sloppily rolled back, and she's calling out instructions to the people responding to the situation. This is Vandy Banderdash. She sees you, stops what she's doing, and walks over to meet you. So, uh, as we see Vandy, as we're walking past, Willem will say, Well, Vandy, it's been quite a night. Do you have any clue what precipitated this event? Quite a night indeed. She gives Gwillem an appraising look, as if she's expecting something to happen. Likely the work of some foul necromancer. I see that you've come from the cemetery yourself. Is this atrocity over? Wait, everything up there is dead. Uh, question. Can V hear right now? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. How long does it last? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, you guys were up there for ten minutes, so yeah, it would have it worn off okay, by okay, now. Okay, okay, cool. Good. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry, I'm sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to make sure. No, it's okay. Yeah, no, it's okay. Okay, so... It looks like it's, there was nothing else popping up from up there. She sees that V is with you. She looks at first relieved, then confused. Tell me, Doctor, what did you see up there? 
A blue light seemed to have emanated from Gauntlight Keep and projected itself all the way here to the cemetery. And from that light it seemed the undead were spawned and then an aberration was teleported down upon us. Her jaw drops open. She's dumbstruck by your response. Hmm. <laughs> As could be expected. Awestruck when faced with the real. Well, shall we move on? Gwilym will go ahead and continue on towards his bungalow. Borwin will gladly follow, and at no point would he make eye contact with her. She's been casting sideways glances at Borwin. She knows he's there, but she makes no eye contact with him either. Well, she turns her head to talk to V. Well, that was going with them. Oh, you're going to keep moving? Yeah. Oh. She looks... Uh, ex her face. She looks so relieved to see you. And then as you keep going, she, she looks confused and then just like utterly ashamed as you keep moving. Not liking the awkwardness of the situation, Rowan steps closer to her and says, I don't believe I've had the pleasure. My name's Rowan Myrtles. And he holds out his hand for a shake. She shakes your hand. Hers is a lot rougher than you'd expect from a priest. And she says, My name is Vandy. Vandy Banderdash. I'm the head priestess of the Dawnflower Library. And she gestures to the building behind her. Pleasure to meet you. She looks you in the eyes before letting you go and asks, What can you tell me about what happened up there tonight? Uh, it's like the, the elf said. Um, the dead started rising from the ground. Uh, what were you doing with those three at the cemetery? I already kind of saw this happening and I kind of ran up and wasn't really expecting help at all. I just kind of went in there on my own. Kind of foolish now that I'm looking back on it. But I figured that dead started coming up. Probably most of them were going to come from a graveyard. Thought I'd try to stop it at its source, as it were. So you don't know them? You just happened to show up in Otari, armed, and helped to fight back the undead? I, I, I came here on errands, and, well, first time I come by myself, and this happens. Does this kind of thing happen often here? No. You must have been sent here. Mm. I mean, I suppose... Do you believe your faith has delivered you here to us? I mean, if you're wondering if I uh, pray to Saren Ray, no, I, I don't. She's unfazed. She actually smiles and she says, There's always a path to finding faith. I pray more to uh, Aristil. Well, you do maintain a shrine to the Elk Father in the West Wing. You're always welcome at the library. Appreciate it. Vandy's attention's pulled away. There's a young acolyte calling out for help with bandaging a wounded man. Well, anyway, it was uh, nice to meet you. I guess I'm going to follow my new, my new companions, I suppose. She turns her attention back to you, and she says, I'd love to speak to you more when the circumstances are less messy. I might take you up on that. 
He nods and heads over to Gwillem and Borwin. Um, we're not too far away from that, are we? Yeah, you're probably getting onto about 100 feet away from this. Okay. I assume you guys just kept walking. So it's a short walk from there back to Gwillem's home. Take you guys uh, maybe maybe a couple of minutes. So as we get to Gwillem's little bungalow by the sea, uh, he will escort everybody inside and try to get together a little pot of coffee for everyone. Does everybody have a cup or a mug? I do have a mug, but that's for Henry. I do. <laughs> No, V's immediately just going into a corner, just, like, not really paying attention to anything. She's just going in a corner and going to go do her prayers. Yeah, I imagine it's a very solemn uh, moment here. and We're all just kind of pretty quiet, just absorbing everything that's happened. So V is going into a corner and praying. I'm going to be making some coffee. Um, on what little counter space Gwilym has, he has two mugs. There is his favorite mug, of course, and then there is another mug sitting upside down. It's the one that the uninvited guest has used quite often. Uh, Gwilym is going to look at it and be really uncomfortable thinking about this guy. Um, he doesn't want to use it. He's going to hand that one to Borwin. What is, uh, how, what's new guy doing? Coming into the house with these strangers. He's not too sh sure what to really kind of do right now other than just wait for the coffee but he is going to turn to v and he says i'm sorry i don't think i caught your name hmm. <laughs> she's in her corner she's praying just kind of like i imagine she like lifts her head peeks one eye out drops <laughs> her head back down and keeps going like i guess like in between when she's praying just they and he's just kind of looking at jealous like hi new person over in the kitchen, Gwilym will uh, pipe up. You see, she's not very talkative when she is praying to Serenray. Her discussions with her god are quite important. So, I believe introductions are in order. Gwilym will return from the kitchen area. Uh, Gwilym's carrying two mugs in one hand and the coffee pot in the other. He pours coffee for the three of them and says, My name is Gwilym. May call me Gwilym, Doctor, what, what have you. I will try my best to keep everybody functional. Now, uh, I come to you already having failed once today. He had one more with us, but he fell. Oh. I'm just sorry to hear that. He takes the cup of coffee and kind of looks into the liquid intently. I propose a toast. A toast to Jakarn. Gwilym raises his mug and take a sip. Borwin will lift his mug too. Yes, to Jack. I guess if you were... What? Is she still praying or what's going on? I, I would have taken... <laughs> you know, it, it, I don't have prestidigitation so I can't just warm up water real magically quick. Okay. So it, it, it would have <laughs> taken some time. Okay. Well, I didn't know this Jakarn fella, but if y'all are toasting to his memory, he must have been a good dude. To Jakarn! He lifts up his cup and takes a drink. 
I like to imagine himself a uh, rather bright fellow. Seems he's been outsmarted in the end. Yeah. I suppose uh, it can only be so clever. Well, clever enough to help keep us all alive. We're here because... Well, because he helped us get here. So are we going to go back and get him? I suppose that does open up a rather interesting conversation. How would you all like to be disposed of should the worst happen? We should... I don't know, but we should bring him back. I'd like to at least give it a shot and see if his body is still there. Mm. I'm not sure that it would be wise to do so until the morning. Yeah, you guys aren't in good shape. Well... I reckon that's probably a good idea. Hmm. Rowan, was it? Do you have a place to stay tonight? I assume you're new here. I haven't seen you around Otari before. Uh, not really. I came here originally on my and Pa's behalf. Just doing regular errands, just picking up stuff here and there. And, uh, happened to have a certain tent catch my eye. Most peculiar woman was in there. She did a, a reading for me. I thought so it was be kind of fun, you know? Oh, yes. Yes, okay. So, how was your reading? And Go ahead, yes. Mm. I mean, I, I didn't really put too much stock into it. Ah, uh, finally, a man of intellect. <laughs> <laughs> so, does everybody want to break out their bedrolls for a sleepover at Gwillops? No. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> no, honestly, if he's seeing everyone is just like, no, we're not going back. She's just like, she looks up and she's like, so that's it. We're not going back tonight. Nope. I would normally disagree and say let's go, but I don't feel like I'm in the proper condition to go. As she much slams her fist on the table and storms out the door. Does anybody know where V goes off to? Not sure. Hey, don't look at me. <laughs> well, I suggest we have a good rest and we try to find her in the morning. Agreed. Was, I mean, obviously, you know, a death was bad and all, but was it really that bad? Um. Everyone has a beginning and everyone has an end. His was uh, probably worse than most. Rowan looks down. Looks like he's deep in thought. Well, Dr. Gwillem, if... If you'd be uh, so kind, could I crash here for the night? Got my own bedroll, and I won't make too much of a fuss. You certainly may. Or when I do suggest you stay here instead of making your way through the woods again. That does make sense. I wouldn't want to get lost in the woods again tonight. Cool. So, uh, yeah, I am... Tired today after a long day of this tragedy. Oh, time for rest and uh, another full day of tragedy tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a it's been a rough day. How are how are the characters doing after everything that went down? 
he's going to be spending a lot of his time um, on the porch, just staring out into the ocean. I don't know if he's really going to get all that much sleep. Gwillem is out. He is sleeping like a baby. Rupert, you know, maybe gave him some head rubs to help him fall back asleep, and then they are both just cuddled comfy cozy all together, just fine. <laughs> He's like, eh, it's been a rough day, I'm tired. Goodbye. <laughs> Rowan's actually going to head out to the porch to Boren. Hey there, big guy. Hello. Bold <laughs> <laughs> shoulder from Borwin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That was the most in-character line of this entire series. <laughs> <sighs> oh. Well, I was just thinking to myself, looking at all y'all's, let's be honest here, haggard expressions, at the very least, I reckon you might need something stronger than some coffee. Uh, Want to go to the Rowdy Rockfish? Let me get a few drinks. Boren looks at his hands shaking and uh, starts to nod and slowly progresses to get fast. And says, yeah, I, I would, I would definitely appreciate a drink right now. I'll buy. And he pats him on the back. It's rough. It's a rough. Uh rough night for everybody almost everybody (laughs) (laughs) not just for you guys either every person that's part of the town guard is on watch tonight there's people that their their shift has just ended and they are back so everything's a little bit tight everybody's stressed nobody's Nobody's sleeping too well, other than just Gwillem. <laughs> fucking, Gwillem's fine. That fucking jerk. <laughs> oh, yeah, Rupert's still some doctor. will probably sleep well, you know. <laughs> he, like, oh, everything's fine now. Good night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, the camera pulls back, rotates 180 degrees to look out over the sea. and fades out. We see V. She's mounted on Henry headed towards the library. Even though it's a very short distance, it seems to take eternity. V is completely unaware of her surroundings as the world seems to be moving around her to bring her to her destination. What's going on inside of V's head? She's riding back towards the the library. Just... I guess she... Many times she just, like, stops. She looks back over to where the she knows the lighthouse to be. Many times she contemplates just... If she got a sled, she could go in herself. Henry could pull Jack with, but... There's the stairs. There's a moat. She's too small. She can't do it on her own. She feels bad that she gave Vandy the cold shoulder, but... She doesn't know how to face her. She failed. But she does have to see her for the night because they need a new grave. 
V's been so wrapped up in her thoughts that by the time she realizes where she is, she's just about finished scrubbing the blood and oil and grease, muck and mud and frothy blood slime from herself and her clothes. She looks down into the water in the library's baths and sees her cleaned but shattered face reflected back up at her. You can barely make out the occasional shouts coming from outside, but otherwise it's eerily quiet throughout the entire library. Still a little damp. Henry a little damp, too. Probably shaking off in a corner. She pulls herself out of her thoughts, and she needs to talk to Vandy. She doesn't know how to face her, but she's gotta go. She calls Henry to walk alongside her, and then she walks back outside where all the bustling people are. You find Vandy outside, still directing traffic for all the people responding to the event. You see her before she sees you. She'll just stand to the side and wait for her to have a free moment. It's not too long before she turns and she sees you. She gives you a look somewhere in the neighborhood of relief and shame. Hello. Do you have a moment? Of course. She looks you over, sees that you're okay. That's her first concern. And she asks, Where have you been? I've been investigating the Gauntlet Keep. Why would you be at Gauntlet Keep? I talked to Renzevenji. She said she saw a blue light in her dreams and was worried something was happening there, so... She had asked other people to go with, and I was investigating that. You were out there with the doctor, I take it? Oi. And also, the others that came from the cemetery? Oi. Bowen and Jack. I, Andy, I am sorry for leaving and not saying anything earlier. I just, it has been a very long day, and Jack did not return with us. What happened? There were monsters in there. It was a monster made of blood. We fought it at the top of the lighthouse. We thought we could try to stop the light, but... Even though we killed the monster, the light still shone and... Jacques did not make it. And the doctor did nothing. How well do you know him? I've only known him two days. He's annoying. He's... In the 50 years he's been in Otari, I've never... He's... I don't trust him. Be careful with that one. What about the other man? The... Borwin. He's nice as a boss. He's 
Got good character, good morals. He's definitely strong. She looks... She's pensive. It's hard to read her face. You know, you've, you've known her your whole, I guess, life. Past couple of months, but... You've never seen so much turmoil going on in, in her face, in her eyes, since you've known her. She always seems to have everything figured out and know exactly what's going on, and she always knows what to do. Just the way that she's guiding everyone through how to respond to this uh, tragedy that's happening. No hesitation. There's something... Something eating at her. She looks down at her feet. She looks back. Uh, Wendy, um, while we were searching, there was this strange chapel in the keep. A chapel? There was an altar, and behind it, there were these four windows. It was an image of ghosts rising from the graves, and... An orange, four-pointed star. Hmm. It's, it's kind of like what happened here tonight. That is why I ask if there is some connection between that and this. Orange, four-pointed star. That does sound familiar. I'm not sure, but... Give me... Give me until tomorrow. I think I can get you an answer. Their conversation gets cut short as a man dressed in blue and white robes, covered in blood, comes running up. Mr. Svanderdash, I can't stop the bleeding. I can't, I can't stop the bleeding. She stops, looks at him, grabs him by the shoulders. She turns back to you and she says, We'll catch up in the morning. She rushes off to try to stop whatever bleeding is going on. Adaman, she calls after her. But she knows she probably wasn't really heard over everything. Uh, she's real tired, and there's just does not feel like there's much she can do. Even though it looks chaotic, it doesn't seem like the situation necessarily calls for one little poppet. But she remembers there's something else she promised to do. So. Seeing that everyone else is outside, she will go back into the church and look for some documents. Oh. So, you head over, and it is silent as the grave in there. There's no one inside. Everybody's outside cleaning up the remnants of uh, what's happened with the dead. And you see the stairs, and you head up. You open the door, and there's a hall. And you know that the door to the left is going to be to Vandy's personal office and her chambers. To the right, the hall continues and has all the various workshops, you know, where people go in there and they, they make poultices and make their, their medicines and, and healing kits and things like that for people to use. It's also where you would find any kind of records. Now, the records are normally not something the public has access to. So you know you're not supposed to go rifling through it. But right now there's... But I'm not the public. That's I'm true. part of the church. That's true. That's true. 
But you... If it was... Good. If it was Jack looking around, then she'd have a problem or something. But she's part of the church. Yeah, I mean, honestly, if Jack were looking around, I think everybody would have a problem right now. But uh, it's another show. <laughs> what, what exactly... What are you trying to find? She wants proof that Orin was charged 19 gold for medicine. She wants to get a vibe of what medicine usually costs. You find a ledger that is used for tracking the production and sales of medicine. And, you know, the pricing seems to stay pretty consistent with things. And you start to look through that for names you recognize. And you see that there's, uh, it's been discounting done. You know, nothing too terrible. You know, nobody's, nobody's hiking prices, but kind of, uh, preferential treatment for certain people. But none of it, none of it is anywhere near 19 gold coins. Like, that's, that is a incredibly high amount of money. 19 gold is like at least a year. Yeah. Of spending nothing. Yeah, like not even food. That's like all your income. Hmm. So you keep looking. And you find a ledger that contains the price for spellcasting services. And these are old records from about... Mm, 51 years ago. But you find consistently 19 gold, 19 gold, 19 gold for remove disease. You also see the name Menhemis. You recognize that name. That is the name of the mayor. Osef Menhemis. You see that name over and over every couple of months for a year. Oh. This has 19 gold each time for him too, right? Yeah. Hmm. I think she figured out where that 19 gold figure came from. Just to her that feels real steep. Kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. We see V close the book, climb up to put it back on the shelf that it came from, and just before she lets go of it, sighs, her head hangs, and the scene fades to black. Alright, we're going to pick up with Borwin and Rowan at the Rowdy Rockfish. Despite its name, the Rowdy Rockfish is the quietest and quaintest of Otari's taverns. A sign depicting a rockfish with its fins up in a boxing pose hangs outside, and within, the calm demeanor of the tavern's patrons might make some wonder if it's the only tavern in the inner sea to have never hosted a ballroom... I'm sorry, barroom... Barroom blitz. A ballroom blitz is where that was about to go. Uh, That's the name of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> The Rockfish's current proprietor is a dignified dwarf woman named Brelda Vankervale, a stoic businesswoman. This place is not jumping. You know, there's uh, a couple of people that are here drinking. They're the regulars. Borwin, how often do you come in this place? Uh, not often enough, but he's definitely relieved that there's not that many people there. Okay. Rowan, I think you've probably been here before. This is a, a place where you've stopped with a fam to get some food before. How old is uh, is Rowan? 
How old is he? What do you think? I'm saying he's probably going to be about maybe 21. 21. He's, he's young. He's a young and 21. I wonder if he's hopping to get to the bar. We're going to say that you have never been allowed to go drink. So, even though this is a somber time for just about everybody, it's actually been a pretty amazing day for Rowan. And you're about to have your first bar night. You go mm. in, pretty quiet. There's you know a handful of people. You've seen a couple of them in here before on your on your previous trips. It's kind of like the lineup at Moe's Bar on The Simpsons. You know, there's a couple of nameless schlubs. You know, they're always there. It's quiet. It gets even more quiet when the door opens. Everybody kind of holds their breath, and then as they see two people come in, it's a, a sigh of relief, and everybody goes back to not really doing much. The two of you go in and find a seat mm-hmm. at the bar. Borwin's going to be following uh, Rowan's lead. So behind the counter stands a dwarf woman. She's got red hair tied back in plates on her head. She looks like she's not having the best day. But then again, she kind of looks like that's what she would always look like. And she says, You picked a hell of a night to come into town. Yeah, it's definitely been a hell of a night. Borwin doesn't respond. He just sits there, silently, staring at the uh, countertop. Her face is stuck in kind of a permanent frown, like she's halfway exhausted, halfway disappointed. But she just kind of stares at you for a moment, raises one of her eyebrows just a little, and she says, So, what'll it be? Well... I figured we could both use something pretty strong. What you got? She gives a little knowing nod. And she bends down behind the bar, comes back up with two tankards and a bottle, unmarked, filled with something that she pours into those tankards. It's brown. She stands there just kind of staring, raises an eyebrow, and tells you, I'll be two copper apiece. Uh, I'm going to assume that Borwin will, rec- will recognize that this is a strong drink, right? Uh, Well, based off of what you've heard him ask for. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, well, upon seeing the drink, Borwin's just going to slam it down. She, uh, she looks at you and raises her eyebrow a third time. I mean, I was going to make a toast real quick, but... All right. She just stares at you, waiting for your reaction. Please don't judge me too much. This is my first time drinking. Oh! oh, oh. You actually like this stuff? It gets the job done. Oh, it tastes awful. The more you drink, the better it tastes. If you say so. He takes another drink. <laughs> she reaches up, pats Rowan on the shoulder gently, sets the bottle down between the two of you, and says, Maybe I'll just leave this here with you. And she walks away, goes about her business. Borwin will take the bottle and slide it closer to himself. 
and begin to pour. We focus in on the bottle and see the brown liquid inside getting lower and lower. And cut back to you two. So, Mr. Borwin, you fight a lot of monsters? <sighs> I guess so. You know, if you don't mind me saying, you handle that axe like a professional. I saw you split one of them things right in half. How'd you learn to do that? <sighs> Splitting logs. I'm... Oh, I used to be a lumberjack for about 18 years. You know, I've been a farmer for about that long myself. Did you learn from your daddy? I did. He, uh... He taught me a lot. He was... He was a good man. Back to the bottle again. It gets lower and lower. It's about three quarters of the way gone. Then back to you two. Alright, 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 alright. I got one for you, Mr. Borwin. <clears throat> so, I know this girl, Maribel. Oh, <laughs> she's a beaut, let me tell you. She has these breathtaking eyes, gorgeous brown hair. She has these huge... <laughs> tracks of land and <laughs> I mean, she has a huge farm right and well she lives about three miles out from my farm and my daddy he works me day and night day and night and he wants me to sleep at night right so one night i decided to go out to my gal and well <laughs> you know a gentleman never kisses and tails but i fall asleep then i wake up and then i see the sun's rising and I start running and running and running. I'm running down the road. And then I remember I forgot my shirt. But I ain't got time to go back and grab it. So I keep running and I keep running. Then my foot gets caught in a muddy guffer hole. I try to get it out, but it ain't moving. And it sucks my boot clean off. <laughs> I keep running. I get back to my farm, but the sun's up. And I see my daddy coming out. So... I do the best thing I could do, and I run to the hen house and I duck in. <laughs> but wouldn't you know it, my pants get caught on a nail sticking out, and <laughs> my britches clean off. <laughs> so here I am, buck naked in the chicken coop. Then I realize something. It's toil day. <laughs> you know what happens on toil day, Mr. Barwin? Tell me, Ruin. Daddy comes to check the coop to get the eggs. So he opens that door, and he sees me buck naked. And the only thing I could say to him is, Hey! Knock first! What were you, raised in a barn? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I I like you. Alright, so... uh, The camera goes back to the bar. And it shows one bottle, half empty. Another bottle laying down on its side. Back to you guys. Ooh. You see this? Look at these boy. You see these arms? You don't get these muscles plowing a field. Well, you you think I'm not strong? I'm strong. <laughs> you, th- you think <laughs> you, you think I'm not strong, weed, boy? I you, cut down trees. I'll show you, old man. What's, I'm wrestle right now. You, me, right here. You don't want this fight, boy. <laughs> well, you, you want you want to go, old man? Put him up. Orwin puts his arm on the table. Uh, all right, all right, all right, all right. We're going to stop here. <laughs> we cut to a shot of the outside of the rowdy rockfish. The door flings open, light spills out, and you two drunken fools get tossed out 
the, the first people to ever get tossed out of the Rowdy Rock. Yep. <laughs> all right, all right. On to the next morning. Okay. Cut to the interior of the Dawnflower Library. We see V heading down some stairs, smoothing out her jacket with her hands, with Henry following close behind. As you walk across the Chapel of Saren Ray, towards the entrance, you spot Vandy. She sees you. She gestures for you to follow her. Zelu, and she'll change course and start going towards her. She starts heading back towards the stairs that you just came down. You're in that hall where you were last night. And she turns left, opens the door to her chambers. And as you come in and sit down, there's a nice table. You know, she sits down with you, and she pulls out a book. She plops it down in front of you, and she says, I found what you were looking for. It took a little bit of digging, but when you said four-pointed orange star, I knew that I'd heard that somewhere before. So here. She reveals a page written in some language unfamiliar to you. There's an illustration of a swirling blue mass with an orange, four-pointed star in its center. This is a depiction of the outer goddess Nimbaloth. She begins to translate. The goddess of despair, ghosts, the swamp. She haunts those who prey upon souls on their way to the afterlife digesting predator and prey as one. Souls consumed by Nimbaloth are completely obliterated. No afterlife, nothing but the agony of death and then oblivion. A true horror. It would make sense that a dark goddess would be worshipped in a dark place, but if this goddess consumes souls, that does not make sense that the souls would... That the undead would rise up from that. Would it? The abominations from last night did not have souls. Such monsters are nothing more than a profane animation of the vacant flesh and bones of those whose souls have already moved on. Hmm. This... Nimbaloth is present out there in those old ruins. Are you planning to go back out there? We, I, I at least have to go back to retrieve Jack. I, I anticipated that you were going to say that, so I've prepared a few things for you. Well, she gets up out of her seat and she walks across the room to a vanity. She retrieves an old wooden box. She returns and places it on the table in front of you. It's made from flamed maple. It's been treated with beeswax, and all of the hardware is made out of bronze with intricate copper filigree. This thing's a real, real work of art. And she unlatches the box, and she opens it. She folds back two panels of luxurious red velvet to reveal a scimitar and scabbard. The simple and elegant curved blade gleams as the fabric's pulled back. The grip is a single piece of 
polished ivory with inlaid icons of Saren Ray on both sides that are made out of gold. The guard is made out of bronze and shaped like a outstretched stylized wings. And the pommel is shaped like the head of a bird of prey. Etched into the blade is writing in a language that's unfamiliar to you. This is the word Neroda. It's an ancient Osiriani word, which means cessation. This is an important tool for someone who's on a path like yours. Ma? I want you to take this. You want... you want me to have that? I think it's important for you to have something to remind you of your faith while you're facing such... dangerous influences in that swamp. Consider it a gift from the church. Oh, uh... I... It's... Seems like a very nice gift, uh... Well, see, I suppose I cannot... reject such a nice gift. The way that you react hits her like a slap in the face. She tries to hide her emotions, but you catch a flash of sadness or maybe regret in her eyes before she's able to control that impulse. She sheathes the sword into the scabbard, which is made from the horn of an ibex with more bronze hardware on there. When she helps you strap the scabbard on, she smiles at you. You'll find that Henry's harness has a few additions when you get downstairs. We cut to a cowboy shop, focused on the scimitar hanging at V's side as she heads towards the camera towards the door to leave. You can see Vandy in the background, just watching her go. We see the sun rising with V approaching Gwillem's home. And as she gets closer, we see the two drunks blacked out in front of Gwillem's house. As Gwillem wakes up in the morning and he's got his coffee and steps out to look out over the sea. Makes a whole thing of coffee without even caring that they're gone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, wearing wearing his wizard's robe, scratching his ass, and then with the coffee, like, "Mm, uh," opens the door and looks out and he's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Morwen reeks of alcohol and just fucking laid flat, arms out, 